Hi there, my name's Adam Parr. I'm the podcast host, the Parr City Podcast. In this podcast, you'll be listening to me connect with people from different walks of life, from the military to people in the music industry to people in the self-help industry and many other areas of life. In this podcast, I'll be talking about topics from self-help, mental health, motivation, spirituality, mindset, society, current affairs, and much, much more. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share, and let me know your feedback. My main intention on this podcast is to have a positive impact. For you, the the listener, to take something positive from it, to apply something positive into your life from this. Now, with without further ado, let's get into this podcast and enjoy. Tuning in, trying to find out how to win. Go along and tell a friend. Marathon, you know the game. Keep on running, never end. Getting better, make a man. Adam got it. Adam got it. Adam got it. Adam got it. Positivity. Mark, it's an absolute pleasure to have you back on the podcast again. How are you doing? Hey, nice to be here, Adam. Good to see you too. Yeah, it's been a while, you know, and uh, we always have great conversations and chats when we when we podcast. And, you know, we was talking about some previous topics before we got into this. And you mentioned like uh, resilience training and, you know, the, the state of the world and society and mental health and how, you know, it's kind of snowballed over the past few years. Yeah, I mean, the, even the Financial Times had an article out today and they're talking about a mental mental health recession. You know, I mean, the amount of people that are, are suffering, you know, pure, you know, because of the pandemic, the cost of living crisis, interest rates going up, you know, jo- job losses, all these things it, are causing a, a lot of suffering for a lot of people. So the amount of people on prescription drugs is increasing. The amount of people seeking help in employee assistance programs is increasing. In fact, according to the Financial Times, Today, the employee assistant programs can't keep up with the amount of people requiring help. And that's just in the workplace. So you take it outside the workplace. It, it's a massive, massive problem, you know. So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot that needs to be done. And you know, linked to what we do in my world with the use of force world, it's, it's something that's covered in as a separate topic, you know. Uh, so when we talk about restraint, we talk about teaching people self-defense you know, then that finishes and then they'll go off and do another course on, on mental health first aid or whatever. But the, the two are interlinked, you know, because if you consider what's called a universal human phobia, if I had a, a hundred people in a room and I took a large snake in a room and snakes are supposed to be one of the things that most people are scared of. If I threw that in the room, 15% of people would have a phobic reaction to that snake. wouldn't, by the way, they'd enjoy it. They'd start pushing their mates towards it and videoing them and sticking it up on on YouTube or whatever. Um, But when it comes to dealing with interpersonal human aggression, 
So, you know, hu human being to human being. That results in 98% of people, according to the research done by um, Dave Grossman, 98% of people will suffer as a result of that. So it's, it's far more endemic than snakes. And if you watch the news, you'll see because of everything that's gone on and is going on, violence in the retail sector is on the increase, violence in healthcare is on the increase, violence everywhere is on the increase. So we're training people to go and deal with this by teaching them restraint skills and conflict management skills and everything else. But for me, the bit that's missing is, is the resilience, is building up that resilience within them. So once they've dealt with it, they don't then become a victim of the incident themselves. Yeah, no, I think it's really true what you mentioned and the fact that, you know, things have snowballed over time. And I think since COVID, things have just been like a pressure cooker for a lot of people. And like mm. you said, a lot of people experience stress, a lot of people experience more anxiety and discomfort. And I think, as you said, this is across the board, you know, more violence in the workplace, uh, domestic things going on. And I've seen a lot of footage in America, especially a lot of people, you know, experience a lot of violence. I mean, there's a lot, you know, America and the UK are very different, but I think across the board, it's everywhere because there's a lot of violence and things have picked up in London and, and elsewhere. Do you think it's because of like COVID and the impact with the current situation and cost of living, do you think it's just kind of all kind of put into this soup almost? Yeah, I think COVID had a, had a big part to play with playing it. Um, and I think the, the big thing with COVID, we're, we're all in lockdown, you know, so we, we can't go out. Uh, you know, people the, people's way of coping uh, with stuff is to have some sort of external stimuli to be entertained. So they've got to have the TV on in the background. They, you know, they, they, they've got to have something going on. You know, I, I know some people that they get up in the morning, they'll come downstairs, they'll they'll get their laptop out, but they'll have the TV on in the background. But, you know, they're, they're not watching the telly, but they've got to have that stimulation there. So people aren't used to, to actually being on their own. Um, whereas, you know, for myself and a lot of other people, and, and, I, and I came out in during the pandemic and said, look, one of the things I do, which helps me immensely, uh, is meditation. I do a lot of meditation and mindfulness. So instead of focusing on, on what's going on out there, I'm focusing on what's going on in here. So being able to do that is a, is a very, very powerful thing. It's, it's a very helpful thing because you don't rely on external stimuli. So for example, when I get up in the morning and I come downstairs, first thing I do is I'll meditate for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, uh, and I'll just in internalize everything. And if I get stuck in traffic at a traffic jam, you know, I won't freak about it because there's no point. You can't do anything about it. I'll just breathe. You know, I'll focus on my breathing and, in and internalize. So, you know, I came out and told people about um, the fact I meditated and uh, during the pandemic and hope to help them. And, and it did help quite a lot of people. But some people thought I was barking mad, you know, as if I came out and said, I'm, I'm LGBT or gay or something. They went, you know, what? And you're a use of force expert. What are you doing, you know, meditating with? You know, do you sit under a tree with your legs crossed? You know, no, yes, you know, not what I do at all. But when we look at the, the, the benefits of it, the evidence based benefits, it's just mad not to do it. It's crazy. I think that's one of the things that are really effective, isn't it, with meditation, mindfulness. And that area of things, a lot of people benefit a lot from it. And as you said, it's like one of the most effective things. And a lot of people, I think, are adjusting more to practicing it. I think especially in corporate environments and workplaces, 
I think, do you think that that's kind of merging more into that that area and it's coming out there more with mindfulness and the benefits of it? Because like we spoke earlier on the phone and there's all these courses that you can take and there's like mental health first aid and that kind of thing. And it's like, people think this is like the, the only thing that works or the main thing that works. And there's many other things that do work to help, you know, your mental health and to feel better. Yeah, uh, to go to the first part of your question, I, I think corporations are now are, are getting more in tune with mindfulness and meditation. Um, to what extent, I don't know, because I'm not involved with any corporates at the moment that, that um, I'm, I'm working with. Um, but I, I think they're, they're aware of it. But you mentioned mental health first aid. And lots of corporations have brought in mental health first aiders to help their staff. <clears throat> now, the problem with mental health first aid, um, and this was uh, reported by the health and safety executive, I think in April last year, 2021, is that they reviewed it and there's no, no evidence whatsoever to show that it's working. Now, I've been contacted by a few companies, some of them very, very large companies who've said to me, look, we, we've got a problem here. We brought in a mental health first aid training and our staff have gone on the training and now they're starting to self-identify with some of the, the mental health issues that have been brought up in the training and they're going to human resources and they're signing themselves off sick and there's nothing we can do about it. So you've got, in some areas, companies working with less staff, more pressure on senior management to actually meet the output levels. So senior management are now suffering with stress. So we're getting this endemic cycle of, of burnout occurring and burnout is huge now, you know, um, post pandemic. And, and I think it was, was sort of coming to a head during the pandemic, but you know, th this, this is part of the problem. So I'm sort of the, I'm sort of the, the antichrist of mental health first aid training. I'm not saying it shouldn't be done. I, I'm not saying in any way that I, I, I don't uh, in one factor take mental health seriously. I, I really, really do, you know, but if you look at, I mean, you can go back thousands of years. You can look at Buddhist scripture that goes back two and a half thousand years when they're talking about this. You can go back to ancient Upanishad scripture that, that goes back 4,000 years and bring it up to date with, with stuff that's being talked about now. And the simple thing they tell you is, is, is what you focus on, you retain. You know, what you give your energy to, you help create. So if you're focusing on the negative all the time and you're worrying about your mental health, it's going to get worse. You know, it's just, it's, you know, there's, look at the research. There's nothing, you know, that's wrong with that's untrue about that. So what we developed or I developed over the years was, of course, I call it quantum thinking. Some people call it Mark's mind uh, F word for, for want of a better thing. Um, and, and it's helping put the responsibility back on the individual. Because, see, this is another, another thing. When things are going wrong, lots of people go, it's not my fault. You know, I need you to do that for me. I need someone else to do that. You know, the cost of living crisis is, is not my fault. You know, um, lockdown, it wasn't my fault and I'm stuck here and all the rest of it. But you control what you can control and what you can't control, you, you don't worry about. So if you, if I cracked a joke right now and, and that offended you, for example, or offended anyone watching this podcast, um, who's in control of that joke? Who's in control of the fact that someone's been offended? It's not me. I'm just the vessel that cracked a joke. So if, if, if say, 100 people watch your podcast and 50% got offended and 50 didn't, then that means that, you know, they're thinking differently. So what happens to us in life happens. We've got no control over that sometimes. But what we have absolute control of, 100% control, is how we choose to respond to what's happening. 
And I think a lot of the stuff that's underpinning the, the increase in, in, in mental health, you know, this, this increase, is that people have, have learned to react to stuff as opposed to stopping and thinking about it and responding to it. And if we can build that response, that gap, you know, in, into their thinking by mindfulness, by meditation, by relaxation training, call it whatever you want, that can only do good. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, as you mentioned, people all think differently and we all react differently. And a lot of people react to something or a stimuli or a joke or a situation or something happening. They're in that reaction and they're not responding. And like you said, I think things happen very fast. Life moves fast. And a lot of the time people might not be aware of aware consciously in the moment of how they're reacting or why and it's just like you said like an automatic response probably based on maybe things from the past or the way they view the world but like you said people are all thinking differently and we all react differently but we should as you said break it down and slow things down mm -hmm. and respond yeah you, you've got to build that that gap you know to give you time to to, to think about your response so it's, it's you know everything we do is linked to a network in the brain so every habit we have so a musician for example that plays the piano has got a bigger neurological network in their brain than someone that doesn't play a piano and what research has shown us is that all of our habits and behaviors are linked to neural networks in the brain and the more you practice those habits and behaviors the bigger those networks get so if you think about the first time you learned to drive the car that's not something you were born with you had to learn it so it gets a bit clunky with, with learning how to do it and you get a little network in your brain. Now, probably when you drive a car, you don't think about it because you've done it so many times, you've practiced it, the network's got bigger and bigger and bigger. So you've heard the old saying that, you know, practice makes perfect. It actually isn't true. You know, practice makes permanent because you could drive a car and be the best driver in the world and you'd have a network in your brain associated with that. You could drive a car and be the worst car driver in the world. But if you practice that regularly, that'll become a permanent feature because it's linked to a neurology in your brain. Uh, and the other thing is, is we get addicted to our emotional states. So part of the brain called the hypothalamus will, will secrete chemicals, either nutrients or toxins into, into our body. And we, we're, we're a, you know, a 3D dimensional model of about 50 trillion cells, each cell doing 6 trillion things either a second. It's phenomenal. Um, but those cells need toxic, they, they need chemicals to react. Now, for cells to communicate effectively with one another, they need nutrients. So if you have a positive thought, then a signal goes from your, from your, your brain to the hypothalamus and says, right, produce some, some uh, nutrients for these cells and you get nice stuff. Uh, cells can communicate. You have a negative thought, signal goes to the brain, hypothalamus produces a toxin, which goes to 50 trillion cells instantaneously. But that breaks down communication. So we become sick. We, you know, we get disease, you know, and disease means we're not at ease. So... It's, you know, it's really important that we, we understand that we have to take control of how we choose to think and, 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 you know, and react and respond to that as opposed to reacting to it. Because if we don't, if we relinquish that control, then whatever happens to us, we're victim to, you know, it, it's, I mean, Viktor Frankl, who survived um, three concentration camps in the Second World War, I mean, his book, Man's Search for Meaning, if, if you've never read it, read the book, it's a phenomenal thing. You know, he could have been, as, as a Jewish person, he could have been pulled out of a line for no reason whatsoever and shot. And he, he, while he was there, he was doing research 
uh, and he, he saw that you know you can have 300 of, of these prisoners of war living in a, in a big barn with excrement and urine all over the floor you know in terrible conditions uh, and they go out and work in the fields winter time with no shoes on and come back so they had to have the will to live to survive and one of the, their pleasures was they would keep a cigarette butt and when they finished a day's work they'd smoke that cigarette butt what Frankel noticed was if someone got up in the morning and smoked that cigarette butt they were probably going to be dead before they went to work they get lost the will to live so they had no control over their environment they had no control over their circumstances but Frankel decided that the one thing that he could have control over was how he chose to face death and how he chose to respond to respond at any given moment in time to what was presented to him and that got him through and he came out of, of the war and he set up a phenomenal therapy called logotherapy and he was a hugely inspirational guy and you know his, his, his work is worth looking at but one of the things he would do uh, people would go to him and say you know I've got, I'm depressed I'm not happy I'm sad you know uh, can you help me and, and instead of saying lay down on the couch and let's talk about your depression because if you think about this if you do something a network step begins the more you do it the bigger the network grows yeah if you close your eyes and think about it because your brain doesn't know the difference between what you're really doing and what you're perceiving the network will grow so in therapy if someone's depressed and they go lie on my couch let's talk about depression and they close their eyes and visualize why they're depressed they're going to get more depressed because the network in their brain is going to grow so the habit habit becomes more ingrained so frank will never work like that he would say you're depressed yeah okay here's what you got to do you know go to this home where people are dying you know they're terminally ill and work there and he would put it in he would confront them with, with this reality and they would go there and you know there's i mean loads of things that he did this is one example and they would you know all of a sudden the penny would drop and thinking well i'm i'm depressed over stupid stuff really you know this this person's dying you know so put things into perspective yeah no i think his work's really great isn't it and i've read i think like roughly half of that book i still need to finish it but so far from what I've read, it's it's really amazing. And like you said, he was responding and choosing to respond to what was going on, whereas the other people were giving up. And as you mentioned, we produce toxins, you know, uh, or you know, the positive chemicals, you know, either or based on you know the way we think and choose to believe, you know, the way things are. And a lot of people in today's life in society tend to like you said not be accountable for their situation they react to what's going on and think negatively and, re and are reacting in a negative way and don't think that things might not going to work and you know fixing that mindset but like you said people tend to react and stress over things that aren't really that stressful but then if they change their perspective by going to situate certain environment situations, it can shift that perspective. Because I think that's something that people need, isn't it, really? And, I, and I, in my, you know, in my work or in the past, you, know, you, you notice that in people sometimes that they'll be kind of fixed in that place. And like you said, it's like a, on, on like a vinyl player on, on a record. They're just in that groove where they just don't see any other way out. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, and people don't like change. You know, we're, we're creatures of habit, but people don't like change. But the fact is, is that everything changes. Nothing's going to stay the same. 
you know, the Buddhists talk about impermanence, the fact that, you know, everything's going to change and, and our bodies change, you know, these cells, these 50 trillion cells that we're made up of, they're, they're colliding and, and dividing and, and changing instantaneously. So we are in constant flux. And if we go down to, to the basic subatomic structure, you know, the elementary particles that we're made from, because this body, your body as well, is made up of, of organs that are in turn made up of, of cells that are in turn made up of atoms that are made up of subatomic particles and as we know 99.999999% recurring of an atom is empty space so you suck all the empty space out of every atom in this body what's left of me is nothing bigger than the size of the grain of sand or a grain of salt that's the physical reality what we're seeing projected wise is is a delusion the reality is when we're with we're energy and in fact if we did that to all nearly 8 billion people on the planet um we, you took all the empty space out of every atom out of every human being living right now, all you'd be left with would, would be a bulk of mass, mass, uh, some matter that would fit inside something the size of a tennis ball or an apple. Um, but the emptiness is an emptiness, emptiness it's energy. And at the, the subatomic level, these elementary particles, these pop in and out of existence all the time. They, they live in a state of superposition. So, so they do not exist. So a particle is made up of non-particle elements because they just pop in and out of existence. So we're cons consistently changing. And, you know, I, I read read a lot these days. I, re I read a lot of it like from a Zen Buddhist master called Thich Han. He's been very influential in, in, in my sort of journey. And the root of, of suffering, according to, to Buddhism, is, you know, <clears throat> is grasping. It's, it's wanting to hold on to stuff because everything's going to change. You know, it's like at the end of this year, I retire. I've decided to take early retirement. And it's interesting because people ring me up and you won't retire. I'm like, well, well, yeah, I've been preparing for this for two years. I've had two years of a pandemic to prepare for this mentally, you know, and physically. Because most people, when they retire, that you know, like in many occupations, will die within a relatively short period of time because they, they haven't prepared to retire. So I've been focusing on this and meditating on this and thinking about this, uh, and, I, and I'm good to go. Um, but, you know, again, it's change. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the change. You know, I, I don't know what's coming, you know. So we have to live in the present moment. That's where all the, the, the miracles occur, you know, being present. So the most important thing to me right now is talking to you. I'm not thinking about anything else, you know. And if someone phones me up, the most important thing at that time is that conversation with that person. I just focus on that. I don't, I don't my mind isn't going, I want a cup of tea or, you know, what am I doing later when I've got these emails to answer? I just leave that, just focus on this. But a lot of people are living their lives, you know, based on what's happened to them in the past. And then projecting that into the future so you know they, they've got a familiar past and a predictable future uh, and they're not in the present moment so if you're not in the present moment you're not alive you know you you're the walking dead so people have to wake up and realize this stuff there's nothing wrong with change you know i mean one day this body's going to go i've got no issue with that you know i've come to terms with that um because none of us are going to live forever but is death the, the final staging post i don't believe so because you know if you look at the first law of thermodynamics it says that energy can't be created it can't be destroyed it can only be transformed so if, if we're made up of 99.9999 percent energy and that can't be destroyed i'm going to transform it to something else uh, and that that would have happened before i was born you know most people think they were born that was you know they, when they actually came out of their, their mother and the, the umbilical cord was cut that's their moment of birth no you were conceived nine months before that. And if you want to think about this you know, further, you were conceived a long time before that because you carry 
you know, you, you were in your parents and your grandparents and that. So I'm a continuation of all of my ancestors. And when I, you know, when I change form or die, my children, grandchildren, there'll be a continuation of me. We all live on in different ways. So, you know, that, that's one of the ways that, that I sort of view things. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel very similar to that as well. And I feel like you said, there is a continuation of life and energy and things don't necessarily settle, do they? They're always moving, moving and, you know, vibrating and, and moving forward. And I think when you mentioned, you know, 99.9% of, you know, of what we are is, is always you know, moving forward and energy. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around that and say, well, that's it. You know, I don't, I don't believe in that either. And I think like you said, with with life in general and you know how our brains work and how people think, we ultimately have a choice, don't we, to take responsibility for that and to over time try and change the way we think to then, you know, change how we act. Because like you said, it, it just becomes people's habits and routines, and that's what they become used to. So, like, you know, trying to step out of that. Yeah, and I've been fortunate enough um, recently to meet two people who've got absolutely nothing. They possess nothing apart from basically, I mean, in one case, the clothes on her back. And there's a guy walking around the UK at the moment called Chris. Uh, his story is amazing. He's an ex-paratrooper. He's raising money for SAFA. So guys, look him up on Facebook. It's called Chris Walks the UK. And he had a mental health crisis and was looking at one stage, you know, we're seriously considering ending his life but he set off to walk the uk with 10 pounds in his pocket that's the only money he had plus two days worth of food which he put into his rucksack and off he went and he spent over five years now walking around the uk and for the majority of that he was on his own he was living in in the woods in scotland during the first lockdown he was then isolated on, on the island up in orkney or shetland or somewhere um but what struck him was the kindness of people because he had nothing and when he was depressed you know, he isolated himself and kept himself away from society. But when he started the walk and he journaled his walk on Facebook, people would meet him and buy him a coffee and give him a place to stay and give him food. And, and I, I watched a video, a uh, BBC documentary about him. And when he was on the island, some islanders from another island or the mainland came ashore on a boat and brought him Christmas dinner. And he's, he's you know, since then he adopted a dog on his walk. Uh, he, he found a, a woman who was walking around the UK. They got together, they fell in love. They've now had a child together. And he hasn't got two pennies to rub together, but he's the happiest guy in the world. And he's an inspiration. And then recently I was in Portugal, teaching out there for three days. And I met a, a young lady out there, a German lady. Uh, she was on the course I was teaching and she wanted to speak to me because I did a lot of stuff around how the mind works and quantum thinking. And she had a, a major crisis. She'd had a bad up, upbringing as a child. And she decided that, it, you know, she, she got very sick as, as a result of, of working to, to live and all the rest of the, the things. So she gave everything away. Uh, every, she gave everything she owned away. And when I was chatting to her, I said, well, what do you actually own? And she said, well, what I'm wearing. She goes, what, I, what I'm wearing and what I've got in my pockets, that's what I own. It doesn't have a laptop, computer, nothing. Um, and I said, are you happy? She said, oh, it's the happiest I've ever been. You know, and if you think about life, and, and we're, we're, you know, we're conditioned to this. 
you know, marketing conditions us to, to, you know, we need that to make us happy. We, we need to buy the adverts all the time. You know, you've got to go out shopping. Shopping's retail therapy. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's retail suicide. You know, you, you go out there and you become reliant. Well, if I'm feeling bad, I'll go and buy something. You know, if, if I'm feeling low, I'll go and get a bottle of drink, you know. Um, and this is how people get addicted to drink. They get addicted to smoking. They get addicted to drugs. They get addicted to sex because they need that external thing all the time. And then what happens is that the brain produces chemicals consistent with, with the high they're getting from doing whatever they're doing. And then when they don't get it, their cells crave the drug. So it's like they're, you know, they're, they're coming off drugs so they don't have to go and repeat the pattern. Uh, and society educates us in this because that's how you know, commercialism works. So we need to break that pattern or teach people how to break that pattern. And the simplest way to do it is just to shut it out stop relying on the external and go internal uh, because i mean you know we've got 400 billion neurons in our brain that apparently is the same as the amount of stars in the milky way galaxy you weren't given this you know by accident it allows you to do phenomenal stuff you know we're, it, it's you know i mean when i get into meditation when i go into my meditations the the, the feeling of, of relaxation of joy of bliss it's it's unbelievable and i can do that to me you know, I, I don't need anything else, you know, and people should learn to do this stuff because it doesn't cost anything. That's the best bit. It's free, you know. So going back to what I was saying earlier on about employee assistance programs, and particularly those people that can't get on, on there because there's a waiting list now or people that aren't in employment. Guys, go and learn to meditate. You know, it's free. It And here's the thing. It's, it's the best thing in the world because it's the only thing you can fail at consistently and get better at because you've got to breathe anyway. So if you learn to breathe properly, you, you're going to get better at it. You're, you know, fail it a thousand times. You, you'll still get better at it because you, you're practicing it. You know, and yeah, it's just a phenomenal thing. You know, I really believe what you said about like, meditation and going within. Because I think, like you said, you can go on all these courses or you can do all these things or you can purchase certain items because, like you said, we can condition to act and think and be a certain way to buy this to feel this. And like you said, it's just chemicals and these hormones that are being released through doing this set of activities, whether that's like gambling, drinking, sex or whatever, people become reliant on that feeling and those hormones and become conditioned to it. Whereas you mentioned like meditation, if you're okay in yourself and you know what to do within yourself, you're not going to need those external things. And I think like people become reliant on these external things to make them feel a certain way but like you said through practice and meditation that's the way forward really and getting to know how to breathe properly you know your posture and how you you know to feel positive and, and well through doing that and not rely having to rely on external things such as you know things we said and also you mentioned like the people on the walk I think you know that's pretty inspirational isn't it for that guy going to Scotland you know living in Scotland and being with himself and I you know, now he's met someone else and, you know, the kindness of other people. And I think like you said, a lot of people can't sit with themselves or don't know how to be by themselves. So then they have to fill up that void or space through doing certain activities or having certain things. But then if you stop doing that, then you become probably sad or depressed. And then you need probably even more of that to kind of reach that buzz. And like you said, it's, it's that self-awareness, isn't it? Of practicing meditation. And you said it's free as well. And also going back to what we said about like being in the moment, a lot of people, like you said, you said, you know, in a daydream, like the walking dead, 
like I said, I'm in this chat with you and I'm focused on the present moment. And likewise, a lot of people might be in a chat and they're thinking about what they did yesterday or things from the past or worrying about the future. And you're not really fully present, are you, if you're tied up to next week or what happened at work? It's, I think a lot of people are kind of, do you think people are caught up in that even more so because of social media um, or the current situation? Yeah, I, I think yeah they caught up in that because social media. I mean, social media can be a great tool. I mean, I, you know, I use it in our business. I, I use it for my own personal needs. Uh, be a great tool. But the problem is, is most people are being used by social media and they're not using social media. And, and there's a big difference. You know, people, there's a ping on their phone. They've got to get on there. They've got to see how many likes they've got. They put a post up there. They're worried about what people think. I mean, it, you know, that's when it's it's using you. So you can use it. And people in business like myself, need to use it and not let it use use you so yeah it, it's people getting caught up in that but there's always been this conditioning you know be, because we we live in in a, a world of commercialism where you know you're told oh get this it will make you happy you know uh, i mean do you know what i hate bloody perfume ads and aftershave adverts and they come around every christmas because you see these gorgeous people up there and they're swirling around or riding on the back of a horse or climbing up a bloody lighthouse and you think well it's not real you know it, it's just not real you, you you wouldn't do that yeah get some stuff make yourself smell nice but you know the people rush out and buy it because they, they're being influenced by these people who've got these phenomenal physiques that you know great but that's not what the average person looks like um but we're we're conditioned because we need to be conditioned because otherwise commerce wouldn't work you know, if you don't buy this car, then you're not as good as that person over there. So there's a lot of comparatives going on. Uh, and you know, it, that makes us unhappy. You know, at the end of the day, you'll be unhappy because you get addicted to it. So you buy the car and you're happy for a bit. And then you think, oh, you know, a few weeks later, oh, no, I need a better car. So you work hard and you work hard to buy another car. And so the, the car has to get you to work. And then you've got to pay for the, for the petrol to go in the car. And then the petrol prices go up and the cost of living goes up. So you're now stressed because you still got to go to work. So you, you're on a hamster wheel, you know, and just taking a break from it. You know, it just shut myself off. I mean, I went for I go for a walk every day if I if I can, depending on the weather. Uh, and I, I walk in nature, and I'll, I'll do nice slow meditation walks and go deep inside. And 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 this is the thing: people think that things like meditation or mindfulness is just zoning out. It's the complete opposite. You know, when you do this, you become seriously awake, and you become awake to everything that's going on. And it's the people that don't do it who are who are actually asleep. You know, I can't remember who said it. it. Might be C.S. Lewis or Mark Twain. He said, "He said one day he woke up to find the whole world asleep," and it's a great saying. You know, because you've only got to walk down the high street and you can see people walking down. They're looking at their mobile phones, or, or even if they're not, haven't got earphones in, they're, they're walking along. And they're not there. You know, their mind is somewhere else. So bringing that mind back to that present moment is, is such a crucial thing to do, and, and to be able to train ourselves to do it, it it's it's really really important. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, and and I and I see that quite a lot, as you mentioned. I I'll see it in the gym. People will be on their phone, they'll have their headphones in, and it's like they're somewhere else. I don't listen to any music. I'll I'll just go and be in the moment and do what I've got to do. Whereas a lot of people, it's like they'll be on the phone for ten minutes, and then they'll be walking around. Like I said, it's like they're in a trance almost. You know, if you're 
if you're not as focused on the moment, it depends on where you are. Like you see it a lot in cities. You're more like you do uh, the training that you do. You're going to be more at risk if you're on, you've got your headphones in or you're not really in the present moment. You could be more vulnerable to people robbing you or or being hit by a car or things like that. Do you kind of cover that in like training that you've done, like in, in people's awareness or, or yeah, God, yeah, you, yeah. you noticed it? Yeah, we, we cover all that on, on our sort of situational awareness training and personal safety training, of course we do. But it's interesting that you talk about the cities. I mean, I, I don't take jobs, and I haven't done for years, in a city. So if people say to me, Mark, we'd like you to come and do some training in London, I say, I'm, I'm not coming. I did a job uh, this this year um, for the British Transport Police, only because the guys were really, really lovely guys, and I said I'd do it for them. But it was just being there in that environment I didn't enjoy it, you know, um, even going for a walk, I couldn't find a, a, a decent part to go for a walk in. I had to drive miles to get, to get into nature. Um, so, you know, when we run our trainers training courses, we've always known that the environment is as important as the training itself. So we train at the Lillishaw National Sports Centre. It's got beautiful grounds. You know, it's a great atmosphere up there. And that helps because... You know, if you look at some of the research done by, by Bruce Siddle, stem, stem cell research that he did, he got three cells that all came from one parent cell. So these three cells are the same. And he put them in three different Petri dishes. And he put different culture mediums in the Petri dish. So one had bone, one had muscle, and I think well, the other one had fat. So he put three identical cells in three separate Petri dishes. They duplicated themselves and they grew consistent with what the environment was. So the, so the one um, in bone became bone. The one in muscle became muscle, and the one in fat became fat. And if Bruce Siddle's watching this, I apologize if I got your your, your uh, culture wrong. But it just shows us what the environment does, you know, to in in, in a, you're basically one cell that and all three are exactly the same. So the environment that we expose ourselves to, because we're just a three D body that's full of fifty trillion cells, and they are taken captive. They're inside this this skin. They're inside our organs. So if we take this culture dish, if you like, and put it in an environment that, that's hostile, that causes us to think in a dysfunctional way, you know, we are affecting every cell, every every subatomic particle in the way it behaves in our body. So we have to be responsible for that. And, you know, I mean, it's like I, I had, I, you know, it's, it's no secret, I had a heart attack four years ago. And, I, you know, I went and did all the tests and everything else, and I was given various options, and they gave me a list of pills, which was like this. And I said, oh, no, I'm not taking them. And the doctor went nuts. Uh, but I said, no, no. So I started to, to concentrate on my heart and started to meditate on the heart and started to breathe and then cut out things I didn't want to do. And I changed my diet. I stopped eating meat, chicken, fish, and dairy. Went on a whole food, plant-based diet. Uh, and I couldn't walk 200 yards without being out of breath when it happened. Uh, but within three days after changing my diet, I was back to being able to walk three to six miles a day. And my last test, when they, they did all the, the thermal imaging and x-rays and MRI scans and blood tests and everything, I went back and the, the doctor was shocked um, because he said, you've got no scar tissue on your heart. And I said, well, am I supposed to have? And he said, yeah. He said, if you've had a heart attack, you, you will get scar tissue, remnants of scar tissue on your heart. He said, you haven't got any. And I said, that's a good thing then. He said, yeah, he said, but we can't figure it out. So I just explained what I did and I told him about the diet and you know, the meditation and except everything else. And he said, well, I go and speak to patient groups about it. And I said, yeah, of course I would, you know what I mean? Um, but I haven't been, in, uh, he hasn't arranged that yet. But I'm, I'm not alone, you know, I'm not a special case. You know, other, other people, a friend of mine got cancer, terminal cancer, given four or six months to live. 
um he's a christian lad you know john davis and he went to church got them all to pray for him and, and he focused on, on on himself getting better and it, within it, well, it happened like that to him it totally can't totally cancer free i mean my camera's frozen now i don't know if yours has yeah. your uh, your camera has frozen yeah yeah i wonder why that is i don't know um yeah but if they can still hear me can you still hear me right yeah, still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he's now cancer free, and, and there's loads of people like this. You know, there's loads of people who have similar stories. So you know, it's it, health is wealth. So taking care of yourself is is fundamentally important because you can have all the money in the world, but if you're not well, you can't do anything with it. Yeah, definitely. I think as you mentioned, you know, it's that like you said with wealth and money, you can have all that wealth and and everything else, but then if you haven't got your health, then you can't do anything with you know if you haven't got your health working for you you can't do anything you have to have that balance with everything and as you mentioned you had a heart attack four years ago and you completely changed your diet and your way of life and the doctors were baffled by it and i think like a lot of doctors always happy to give people prescription drugs and things like that because big pharma and how you know they make money and what they think works it might work temporarily but it's not the the long-term thing or, or probably the great thing that's going to help somebody and I'm, you know i'm glad that you're well and you've been able to turn things around but i also had like a conversation with someone who their husband was put into um icu in america during lockdown he had covid and they wanted to give him all these drugs they gave him all these drugs and he got really really sick and then his wife my friend uh researched different things and she stopped him taking all these drugs and he got better. So it just shows you, you know, through meditation, through looking after yourself and changing, cutting things out of your diet. Because I think a lot of things in, in people's diets aren't great for them. And I think like we're conditioned to think that certain things are good for us, which probably aren't good for us. And until oh, you're in that situation. I was yeah. speaking to Niles about this, having done the research into that. You know, it, it's so true. But, <clears throat> you know, don't get me wrong. Western medicine is... You know it's needed you know if, if people all, are all of a sudden seriously ill got a disease need an operation then you need that intrusive medicine so don't anyone listening to this think hang on about a minute i'm, I'm gonna throw my meds out the window and just start you know meditating meditating mindfulness those sort of practices they will build the resilience you know in, in, in your ability to not react and become more you know take your time and respond they're going to make you healthier as well, you know, but, but that, that's a build-up process. You know, th this is something that you do ongoing. Uh, whereas in any sort of medical intervention is, is there and then, you know, if you, if you fall off your bike and break your leg, you know, you don't want someone to come out there and say, look, I'll, I'll do some meditation with you. you. You want to get rushed to hospital and get that thing put in plaster. So everything has its place. But if you look at society as a whole, you know, we're the most technically advanced society in the world. Um, but we've got more ailments, illnesses, sicknesses, and diseases than we've ever had before. You know, we've got more people suffering with stress. We, we've got more, you know, more weapons that can kill each other in more effective ways. Um, so, you know, technical technology advancing in some ways is is not a good thing. You know, we we become reliant on it in many ways. You know, and again, being able to cut away from that and just be reliant on ourselves is so important. You know, and and yeah, that would be my message for anyone today. Is is you know, Think about you know doing this stuff. Think about meditating. Think about learning how to do mindfulness and go inside. I mean, you know, we're, I've been asked to run a course in the new year, 
um, although I'm retiring. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I said, I said um, yeah, we'll, we'll put something together. And I've just uh, been introduced to a, a guy, uh, Vic Vickery, who's a really interesting guy. So, you know, go and have a look at Vic Vickery on LinkedIn. He's got an amazing story. He's doing great stuff with resilience training and stress training and things like that. Um, brilliant backstory. The guy's been to the North Pole. He's been to the South Pole. He's been to Everest. He's a phenomenal guy. And he's done this, you know, with limitations as well. Um, so I want to get people, you know, relying on less um, but using themselves more, if that makes sense, because you've got all the resources here. You know, it, it's as simple as that, really. Yeah, no, I love that. And I wish you all the best with that course when you do it. And, I'll, you know, anything that you're doing, I'll promote it as well and put it out there. Thank you. And I, think that, I think that'd be great. And I think, like you said, it's, it's important, as you mentioned, to focus on the things you know you can control rather than the things that you can't and not be, you know, like reactive to things that are controlled and to respond more in that way but you know it's it's always great talking to you mark and you know i wish you all the best in you know from the do uh, I, I love the work that you do and i wish you all the best you know with your, with your retirement and what you choose to do in that time and i really appreciate your support because i remember when i first i think it's probably my third podcast i ever did and you gave me that encouragement to keep it going and that support and you've, you know, you've been consistent with that. And I, I, I'm really grateful for that because I think it gave me that push and drive forward to keep doing it and belief in it. Well, you're most welcome. You know, you, you're, you're the, you're the future, you know, you, people like you have to keep going because if you don't keep going, it all stops. So yeah, keep on going. Thanks, Mark. No, I you're definitely doing, you're doing great things, Adam. You're doing great things, and, you, and you're networking with some great people. And in fact, I've got someone that you, I'll put you in touch with because he'll make he'll be a great podcast guest for you as well so, so soon. Yeah. No. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. But I wish you all the best, and um, I'll I'll stay in touch. All right, buddy. You take care. Cheers, Mark. You too. Cheers, Mark. Good talking to you. Got it. Adam. Got it. Adam. Got it. Tune in.